I couldn't understand why I would feel like it was okay to marry this person and then very, very much feel like it wasn't okay anymore. Sometimes Heavenly Father can prompt us to go down the wrong road, knowing that it's a short road so that we have full conviction and full faith that when we turn around and we take the other one, that it's the right road. It's pretty well understood that as Christians, we believe in the sanctity and eternal nature of marriage. Divorce is not something we take lightly, and it's certainly not something that Kate Matheson, a 27-year-old Gold Coast girl, had ever envisioned for her life. A few years ago, she married a man in the Brisbane Temple, but after the magic of the wedding faded and her husband's behaviour drastically changed, she began to realise that things weren't quite right. Eventually, emotional abuse tactics, addiction struggles and a faith crisis culminated in an ultimatum that left Kate with a stark choice, her husband or her faith. In this episode, Kate joins me to discuss this chapter in her life, how she counselled with her bishop and stake president to navigate the pathway of divorce, and why at times we feel prompted to go down the wrong road. Just a quick note, to protect the privacy of Kate's ex-husband, we'll be using a fake name, and we've endeavoured to share only the necessary details that you need to piece the story together. My name is Maddie Sterling, and this is Choosing Faith podcast where we talk with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and explore what it's really like to live and continuously choose a life of faith across Australia and New Zealand. Today, Kate is joining us from the Gold Coast. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really happy to have you here um, and I will get into why a little bit later, but Hmm. before we get into the, you know, the hard-hitting, heavy content. I just yeah. wanted to introduce you to those who are listening because I know you'll have some friends tuning into this episode later, but for those who don't know you, thought we should give a quick overview. So you're a Gold Coast girl, you're mm-hmm. an occupational therapist, yeah. you're a makeup artist, uh, <laughs> did my wedding makeup actually. I sure did. <laughs> what a day. And <laughs> I have to add this in, you have truly enviable hair every time I see a photo oh of it. I just wish that I could get it like that but unfortunately it will just never be a reality for me (laughs) let the record show I did not write my own bio for this and also my hair is not enviable at the moment but I really appreciate it thank you you're welcome but that's a pretty superficial overview so what am I missing can you tell me a little bit more about yourself Yeah, so, I mean, you got it pretty spot on. I'm a Gold Coast girl. I've been here for most of my life. I have been a member of the church um, since I was born, which I feel really, really blessed and privileged to have grown up with loving parents and in a family centered in the gospel. I get a lot of satisfaction from my work. As you said, like I'm an OT and I love helping people and I love um, working with the oldies. I'm in, in the community with the over 65s and I love it. I um, I served a mission in Korea. So Korea has a big part of my heart and I love the people and the culture and um, just had the most incredible time. And that's pretty much me. I'm pretty simple. I love the beach. I love music. I love to cook. I love to eat. That's pretty much me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did see a story of you making chocolate chip cookies with about 95% chocolate chips and oh, 5% of absolutely. the rest. That is the perfect ratio in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I will never say no to a cookie like that. Absolutely never. 
Well, cool. Thanks for that. And you've been a member of the church your whole life. What do you love about being in the gospel? Um, obviously, there's a beautiful community and like I've met a lot of my best friends and influential people in my life through the gospel. But for me, I love my relationship with the Savior and the peace and the hope that that brings into my life. It's just hope, hope for the future. That's a good way to start out our conversation today. You're joining me to talk about your experiences from the past couple of years, which include meeting a man, getting married, and then eventually getting divorced. Yeah. Divorce is, of course, a horrible, horrible experience for anyone. But when you grow up in a Mm -hmm. religious culture, which believes in the sanctity and the holiness of the marriage relationship, contemplating and proceeding with a divorce can be even more harrowing as you've experienced. Oh, for sure. I just wanted to make it clear for everyone listening that the purpose of this conversation today is not to drag Kate's ex-husband in the dirt or for this to become a public gossip session in any way. We're going to be using a different name out of respect for his privacy. Mm -hmm. But recently I had the opportunity to speak with Kate and learn more about what she experienced during her marriage. And what I distinctly remember was as Kate spoke to me and, and told me of her challenges, but shared her commitment to following God, even if it meant following God alone. I just really did feel the warmth of the Spirit. And I realized that she truly demonstrates what it means to choose your faith. Mm. So today, sorry, Kate, for that. I know you just had to listen to me rant about yourself. (laughs) No. But, But I guess that's where I'm coming from. What are you hoping people will take away from this conversation, Kate? Yeah, no, I really appreciate you bringing up at the beginning, the purpose, we were married for just over a year. And it wasn't until the last two weeks that I'd even considered, like the thought of a divorce had even crossed my mind. Like at no point in our marriage did I ever think this is going to end in a divorce or I should consider a divorce or it'd be better if I wasn't with him. I, I very much was in it. Um, and for me, like being asked to be on here and, and having this incredible opportunity is in no way for me to um, degrade or make light of a really painful situation um, and to drag anybody's name through the mud, like you said. Um, but my hope is that Um, I can help somebody going through this or maybe somebody that has been through this or um, is in a marriage or is dating that is just a little bit unsure because I know for me now looking back, I just can see how beneficial that would have been for me to kind of feel like I wasn't alone. And I just want people to know that they're absolutely not alone in whatever kind of journey they're on, be it dating or engaged or married or divorced or separated, all of the above. Great. Thank you for that. Hopefully people feel that the spirit of which this conversation was intended. Mm -hmm. But how about we get into telling your story then? So for today, we'll call Kate's ex-husband, Jason. How did you meet Jason? When did it all start? All right. Well, I met Jason at a YSA family home evening night and I'd never seen him before. He had recently joined the church and was kind of living a little bit more rural. So he was up on the Gold Coast and 
saw the event and decided he'd go and and we met there. You know, we started talking and he asked me out on a date and essentially, yeah, that's that's how we met each other. So you started talking and obviously there was some interest from both parties there. How quickly Mm. did you then or how long were you dating? How quickly did you get engaged? What was that process like? Yeah, so we um, so we dated for about six or seven months, I think, before we got engaged. Essentially, from I guess our our first date to a wedding day, it, w- it was just under a year. At the time, it didn't feel to me like that was a, necessarily like a rush, but I, you know, I can see how some people might think that that's pretty quick. But um, it didn't feel that way. I just felt like the need to help him essentially. Like I, I had him explain a lot to me about his past and about, you know, where he'd come from. And, um, I found it very inspiring. And this story of, you know, coming from what he, you know, what he described as, you know, nothing and, and, you know, an abusive, a difficult childhood and, um, a lot of addiction to coming out of that and getting baptized and finding this new light and joy in the gospel. And, you know, for me at the time, and I think probably a lot of people can relate both males and females in kind of the YSA group. I think that for me, I felt like there wasn't a lot of options. I know that sounds rough and I don't mean it in a rough way, but, um, I just didn't feel like there were that many options and he came along and we had similar similar things that we wanted, that we were verbalizing anyway that we wanted. And so I felt this strong need to show him that that light and everything that he had found in the gospel is true and that you can have a life that he only ever, you know, told me that he dreamed of having. It's interesting hearing you talk about how you you wanted to help him. Uh, I guess because we we do as part of our faith tradition we we learn about compassion and forgiveness mm-hmm. and giving people a second chance being loving being supportive all these wonderful nurturing qualities we're taught from day one yeah and and when you saw Jason and you learned that he was a convert and he'd had a different kind of upbringing to what you had mm-hmm. I can see how kind of some of those teachings and characteristics that you've learned over time would have come into play there um, yeah. especially you being a missionary you're used to seeing people change and get on on the covenant path I guess yeah I think I just you know he was telling me all these things and at the time it was exactly what I wanted to hear it made me overlook a lot was this talk of like family of raising kids in the gospel those kind of dreams and aspirations Yeah, essentially. Like I remember, I think it was our third date. I remember him saying to me, um, and he just shared and disclosed a lot about his previous life that was pretty full on um, and that I was kind of trying to process. But he he said to me that um, he wasn't here to mess around and that he wasn't here to waste his time, essentially, and that he wanted a family and he wanted to get married in the temple and he wanted to you know, start this life. And at the time I thought, oh, that's pretty full on. But ultimately that's what I wanted. And that's what my patriarchal blessing had told me that was in store for me. And given how upfront it seemed he was being with, with his past and all these things he'd done. And I 
felt like it started on a more serious note rather than like that lighthearted getting to know you dating. It, it felt like it got serious really quickly. And in hindsight, that was a lot. There was a lot of pressure as well. It was almost as if after those first couple of dates, like I needed to really make a decision whether I was in or out. And I know it can sound silly to say, but I just felt like there wasn't another option and I was interested. So I thought, you know, why not? I guess I am in. Like, that is ultimately what I want. He'd been telling you these things about his past. Did you see them at the time as red flags or more just things that you could work on together as a married couple? Um, I didn't necessarily see them as red flags to be transparent, you know, there were things that a lot of people I'm sure have dealt with, whether they're members or non-members, things like pornography addictions, um, you know, drug addiction, alcoholism, mental health issues. Not that any mental health issues were disclosed, but kind of a general sense of depression and, and mental health throughout different periods of life. And, you know, he'd been married before and there was a lot of things that I was hearing that in my mind I was like, oof, this is shocking, you know, like it was a bit shocking to me because it was very different than how I had grown up and things that I'd done. But in saying that, they were presented to me in a way that, you know, very much was like I've learned from this and I've taken the good from it and I will, I'm never going back there again. This is nothing that I want to repeat. And so in my mind, I thought, well, you know, who am I to judge somebody for their past? And I think that that's a lesson looking back that I hopefully am learning a little bit more is that there is a difference between judging him and judging those actions and judging for safety and judging for your own benefit. There's like a difference mm. between judging in a negative way like oh I can't believe you ever did that that's terrible and judging like hmm are these behaviors repetitive in nature are they safe will I be safe things like that that in at the time I didn't I didn't understand the different difference between those two forms of I guess judging and so I very much took it all on board um which was challenging and uncomfortable um, but I took it all on board and much more because I wanted to be Christ-like and I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to show him that people could love him, that, you know, those things don't define who you are. And I do believe that, you know, your past doesn't define who you are and you can change and you can grow. But in his particular case, it turned out a bit differently. Despite those feelings, I'm sure mm -hmm. that you you were prayerful about, you know, this process and, and why you were dating and, and even engaged. Did you feel some kind of spiritual confirmation that it was right to go ahead with getting married? I definitely did and I prayed about it a lot. I remember going to the temple and feeling really peaceful and kind of taking that as an answer that it was okay. I didn't necessarily feel this big push that was like, yes, this is right. But at the same time, I, it wasn't a feeling like, no, don't do this. And when I look back, I actually am really comforted by that because even though it didn't ultimately work out for me, it gives me some confidence that Heavenly Father was still there. And that was what I held on to, you know, for the year. So then you, you did get married. 
and you've told me that it was kind of almost immediately that Jason's behavior began to change. How did you eventually realize that his behavior was beyond you? Like what other things were happening? I know you've you talked about how he kind of was withdrawing intimacy. Um, I don't think there was physical abuse involved, but no. No, no. there never was, and, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, so over that year that we were married, um, he definitely was struggling. Like when we got engaged, he was struggling with his beliefs, as I said, and just, you know, the really foundational principles of the gospel, things like believing in God believing that there is a God, believing that he lives. Um, he had a lot of trouble intermittently over that year. It was very up and down, which was really, it was really kind of challenging for me um, to help him with. And it was challenging to watch him struggle with because it is a struggle. And I know that a lot of people experience a faith crisis and experience, you know, growth and changes in what they believe. Um, and so I wanted to be supportive of that and I wanted to encourage him to deal with that and, and manage that and do what felt right for him in the best way that I could. Um, and ultimately we didn't separate because he changed his beliefs. We separated because it was no longer emotionally safe or healthy or comfortable for me to remain in that relationship um, and so right at the end of our marriage he had become very distant he became as you said you know things like intimacy were being withheld and he became very secretive like I wasn't I didn't know who he was speaking to or um you know who he was making calls with he'd go outside and sit in the car or he would um tell me that you know my world would end if I knew what he was reading rather than telling me that he was reading a book. You know, things like this started happening and it was really unsettling. Just giving um, you little teases but making you more worried yeah, along the way. Yeah, just to kind of see how I would react. And so we went on a holiday together and he was very distant in that time as well. And we got back and immediately he told me that he no longer wanted to go to church anymore. I was a little bit shocked, but in, to be honest, in a lot of ways, like I had definitely seen that coming. And so I was kind of more mentally prepared for it. And I tried to be supportive of that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go and I want, you know, you do you essentially. And so he took me out one day and he told me that it was going to shake my world um, what he was going to tell me. He was very upset and he told me that I belonged to a cult and that I'd been brainwashed since I was a little child and that if I didn't leave the church for a year and read everything that he's read and look into all of the truths, quote unquote, that he's found and change my beliefs that he couldn't love me anymore. And he told me that I was a blind sheep and I was a follower and that I'd lost myself. I had no idea who I was. And so almost overnight, well, not overnight, throughout that year it had been changing, but from dating to end of marriage, 
everything about me that he loved became everything about me that he didn't love. And as the person experiencing that, that was unbelievably confusing because I was just trying to be myself and to be loved for myself and then to be kind of despised for myself was was really challenging. Um, but ultimately it was the separation was not because he changed his beliefs. It was because he enforced new ones on me and took what, who I wanted to be the last little bit of who I was. He wanted to take that away and told me to leave my family for that year and live an exciting life with him. Otherwise he couldn't love me anymore. And, um, you know, things with children came into it and he said, you know, if we ever had children, which, we were planning on doing, which I wanted to do. He said that they would never, ever be able to go to church. I would never be able to share with them what I believed. I would never be able to take my baby into the chapel with me. And it was a really beautiful experience afterwards um, because I felt like this crazy motherly instinct come over me in that moment, which is so weird because I'm not a, I'm not a mom. Like I don't have kids, but I felt maybe like these little spirits around me that I needed to protect. And ultimately that was what really helped me to make the decision to leave is that I didn't feel safe bringing people into the world with somebody that's already talking about what they can and can't do and what I can and can't do as their mother and what I can and can't do as a wife. Did you seek any help from church leaders or a counsellor to talk through what was happening at that time? I went and saw my stake president and he recommended that I go and see one of the church counsellors. And so I made an appointment straight away and went and saw them because again, at this stage, I'd been asked by Jason not to say anything to family, not to tell anybody. And it was really hard for me to hold it all in and to manage it. And so I went and spoke with a church counselor and she was just absolutely incredible. And she helped me recognize the difference between power and control and equality, all the different behaviors that I had been experiencing and living with and and enabling and encouraging in a lot of ways. And it was the first time emotional abuse had even been said out loud. And And it took a long time for me to kind of wrap my head around. And so I went to the temple and I was praying so hard. And in my mind, I'm just kind of like preparing myself to feel this ease. And it never, ever came. It sounds so sad, but it really, like if I could go back and hug myself at any point, it would be that point. But I was sitting there in the corner, tucked away with tears rolling down my face, closed my eyes. And I was just trying to pray and I couldn't even string a sentence together in my mind. And it was so scary to me because I'm thinking, but I'm in the celestial room, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. Why can't I get an answer? Why can't I even ask for an answer? And as I was feeling and thinking all of this, I had somebody come up and tap me on the shoulder and for context, there's absolutely no way that I would have approached me in that situation. This girl in the corner with her eyes closed, crying. 
I certainly would not have tapped on my shoulder. But anyway, so this guy comes up and he taps me on the shoulder and I recognized his face, but, um, you know, like we hadn't talked, he was from YSA. Um, and so I recognized him probably from years prior at like a convention or something. And he looked at me and he had like love and concern on his face. And, you know, he asked me if I was okay. And I said, not really. (laughs) Um, and he didn't know anything about my life. He didn't know what was happening. Like I could have been crying for any number of reasons. And he said to me that he felt inspired to come over and tell me that he's dating a girl that was married once before and that she had a temple divorce and that she's never, ever been happier and that they're really happy. And I couldn't believe my eyes or my ears. Um, I felt like Heavenly Father was giving me a hug and I just felt like he knew he knew me in that moment and I felt like it was going to be okay. It kind of, it. I think Heavenly Father seeing me in that room, he knew that if he tried to give me an answer in my own mind, in his infinite wisdom, he knew that that probably was not going to work for me. And so he literally sent somebody over to tap me on the shoulder and tell me exactly what I needed to hear to know that it was okay for one, that other people have done it and that they're okay and that they're happy and that somebody can love them still because that was such a fear of mine. I was thinking, you know, like who's going to love me? Who's going to want to love me? And I know that sounds so sad, um, but I also know that that can be a thought for people that went has gone through a divorce and it kind of just answered all of my prayers. And so after I'd had that incredible experience and I'd debriefed with family and friends, I went and saw the counselor one more time and I shared with her that experience. And I recognized that Heavenly Father was telling me it's okay, that I didn't have to do it anymore. And the relief I felt was beautiful and obviously there's a lot more to it and there's a lot involved but ultimately through a lot of heartbreak and counseling with my stake president and with my bishop and with my family and with my closest closest friends and going to the temple the best and safest and hardest decision was for me to have courage and take control and show a little bit of love for myself and leave, which I was told by him was the easy coward option, but was absolutely the harder option for me at the time because the rigmarole and the pain and just everything that comes along with what you can imagine a divorce is like didn't seem easy to me. It didn't seem like that was going to be an easy option, but it was, I think, a short-term harder right rather than a very long-term easier wrong. I know anybody experiencing any kind of emotional abuse or physical abuse or, you know, any kind of form of abuse, it can feel really difficult to have that courage and to even just recognize 
that things aren't the way they should be and that you have an option. And I just want anybody listening to this that's experiencing that to know that you absolutely have that option and there is help and there is light and there is love ahead. Life doesn't have to be like that forever. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. As you were talking, I was thinking about the comments that we've heard from Elder Holland in recent years and other general authorities about spousal abuse and um, and just toxic relationships in general, which can be, you know, in families or friendships. And mm-hmm. although we obviously are taught to be compassionate and loving and forgiving and that's what we try and emulate is, is the saviour ultimately, we have heard very direct advice from the church, which tells us that it's okay in some circumstances to remove ourselves from those situations. And I just wanted to read a quote from Elder Holland in one of his recent talks from 2018, I think. He says, Christ taught that I, the Lord, will forgive whom I forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. But he did not say you're not allowed to feel true pain or real sorrow from the shattering experiences you've had at the hand of another. Nor did he say, in order to forgive fully, you have to re-enter a toxic relationship or return to an abusive, destructive circumstance. And um, I, I found another quote from Gordon Hinckley, Hinckley, obviously earlier, where he says that we condemn most strongly abusive behavior in any form. We denounce the physical, sexual, verbal, or emotional abuse of one spouse or children. And I think it's interesting that that children is used there as well and that one of the the thoughts that helped you gain the courage to leave that environment was the thought of your future children. That is really beautiful that maybe you didn't have enough self-love or you couldn't see your self-worth at that point in time because you'd had it kind of broken down throughout that year. Yeah. But that thought of your children is what drove you to action. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it can sound crazy, right? Like, you know, that scripture where, um, you know, Heavenly Father says that he will send angels round about us to to hold us up. And I truly, truly felt that. I felt angels on this side of the veil and angels on the other side of the veil. And I absolutely believe that we can all experience things from both our, you know, our past ancestors and our future ones. And I think that they're absolutely there and encouraging us and helping to steer us in the right direction. And it was actually such a a privilege in a lot of ways to have felt that and I'm I'm really grateful that I did but I've certainly had plenty of angels on this side of the veil and really grateful that you've said that and brought this up is because I think for me one of the most challenging things was that I couldn't understand why firstly I would feel like it was okay to marry this person and then very, very much feel like it wasn't okay anymore, but also just to accept that it it is okay, <laughs> that it's okay to be divorced. It's okay to be separated. And that's not to bring lightness to it and say that if you have an argument, you know, that that's, you should just get 
separated or you should take the time. No, we're certainly not advocating for divorce here. I just want to make that clear. Not at all. Like (laughs) I would not wish this on my worst enemy. But at the same time, it happens a lot more than we think and it's okay. And like if there's anybody listening to this that's experiencing a separation for themselves, like it's okay. And that was something that I needed to hear from my state president and from my family. And it took me a really long time to let it sink in that, no, it's okay. And it is, as you say, especially in religion, it's not necessarily that it's frowned upon by any means, but it's certainly not something that we like to think about too much when we think of marriage as an ending in a divorce. And so it can feel like you're a failure and it can feel like you have done the wrong thing and there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame attached to that circumstance. And having now gone through it and and feeling like I'm coming out the other side and that there's hope ahead, I I just wish that I could have removed some of that shame and some of that guilt that I felt earlier because there really isn't any need to add that on to what's already a pretty heartbreaking situation. And there's so much love from church leaders and apostles from our prophet. There's so much love out there to reinforce that challenges and and difficult things happen and that's okay and that's life and that life goes on. And I, I think one of the things that struck me when you first told me about this experience was what you learnt about agency because the marriage relationship involves two people and mm-hmm. you you felt good and you felt peaceful about entering it but you've also told me that you felt good about leaving it and that might seem to people like you were receiving two contradictory promptings from God and and how can you reconcile that but at the same time our heavenly father he gives us commandments and he gives us um spiritual promptings but we still have that agency and and you you know you didn't have control over Jason and how he acted in the marriage you you tried but ultimately you had to learn to let him live the way that he was living um and yeah. and accept that i guess yeah you know you think why would i have felt like this was the right thing to do and now i'm feeling like it's the right thing to leave. You know, it just seems so contradictory, like you said, and, and confusing. And um, and it did take me a long time to kind of try and understand that. Um, but like looking back and kind of what I was feeling and talking to friends and family about at the time was that, um, like you said, we, we do have agency. And when we got married, we wanted the same things. We were saying we, I mean, at least we were saying we wanted the same things. And, um, you know, I truly feel like it was an opportunity for both he and I to achieve those things that we said that we wanted. And it just happens that as much as I tried or as much as he tried, ultimately he didn't want any of those things anymore. And, there was no way for him to peacefully coexist with me still wanting those things and him not. And so he used his agency to, you know, 
lay out what happened between us. And at the time, I couldn't understand it. But now looking back, I, I see that as not a contradictory revelation. I see it as just revelation in both instances that Heavenly Father is right here with us through all the seasons of life, through all the different circumstances that appear and the different roads that pop up and he's right there every step of the way it's not this is your revelation for a lifetime Mm, good luck you know across (laughs) anything not just marriage like school like how many times do you you know do people start a degree and get halfway and think this isn't what I want to do anymore why did I just waste a year or two or you know of my life studying this I think that we change and we grow and things happen and Heavenly Father's right there with us to change and grow and offer new positive pathways and exits and entries, you know, as we do. Um, And I actually had my stake president tell me this beautiful quote by President Holland. He says, the Lord gives us entry and the Lord gives us exit. And I know it can sound Um, And I don't want to make light of the exit part, but it's comforting to know if you are in a situation that isn't safe or healthy or right, that there is comfort in the exit and that that can be a revelation for you, regardless of whatever revelation you felt to enter. I I think the idea that revelation, um, not that it changes, but that new new revelations can come over time is actually mm-hmm. quite liberating because it gives us the the freedom to make decisions for our own lives and not be locked into something that might no longer be good for us um, or might not yeah. be appropriate to our current circumstances. And, you know, obviously in preparation for this conversation, I was, I've was i been thinking a lot about, in, you know, uh, inverted commas, uh, contradictory revelations, but yeah. I was doing some come follow me reading and I came across this scripture in Doctrine and Covenant 75 and it's the Lord speaking to his servant, William E. McClellan. And it's so interesting because although we have a God who is all-knowing and all-seeing and eternal, um, you know, can see the beginning from the end, like you said, he kind of is, he moves with us in our kind of linear time scale. So in this scripture, he says, you know, I say unto my servant, I revoke the commission which I gave unto him to go into the eastern countries. And I give unto him a new commission and a new commandment in which I, the Lord, chasten him from the memories of his heart. He sinned. Nevertheless, I forgive him and say unto him again, go ye into the south countries. And I was reading this and I was thinking of you and thinking of Jason and how Sometimes, you know, we get um, a feeling that we should go down one pathway and then maybe we make a decision or, like in your case, somebody else in our life makes a decision that means that's no longer appropriate to pursue and we've got to change. We've got to, like, shift gears a little bit Mm -hmm. and and follow the new revelation that might now suit us. Mm -hmm. I just really like that idea that Heavenly Father knows where we are at in our very current circumstance and he's able to guide us into safe pathways every step of the way yeah and then he gave us a savior who can relate i mean like what a blessing it is to go through hard things like believing and hoping that you're just not alone there's a great video actually it's called wrong roads by um President Holland, and it talks about how he and his son like went on this journey, like day trip, 
hiking or whatnot in Utah and they were driving home and there was two roads and and the son prayed and he, you know, they wanted to know which road to take because there was no signs. And so they both felt strongly that they should go down the right, the, when I say right, left, right, like the right road. <laughs> um, and it was, it was a dead end. They went, I think he said like 400 yards and it was a complete dead end. And they turned around, they drove back and they went the other way. And he talks about how sometimes Heavenly Father can prompt us. You know, they prayed about it. He can prompt us to go down the wrong road, knowing that it's a short road so that we have full conviction and full faith that when we turn around and we take the other one, that it's the right road. And for me, that also brought a lot of um, peace, a lot of peace and a lot of hope. Um, And that doesn't come straight away, and I don't want to be naive and in saying and thinking like, oh, this was just a quick process for me. And these are some things that I just sure. quickly learned, <laughs> you know, a week after, like this has taken me almost two years. Um, and if you'd have done this podcast with me a year ago, I think I would have had some very different answers <laughs> and a very different vibe. And um, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like, um, disrespectful of people that are right in the thick of it because this took me ages to feel and ages to learn. And um, I hope that it can just give you a little bit of hope that you will get to a stage as well where these things feel comforting. Um, but it definitely took a while. But that video was great. Highly recommend. Wrong Roads. Mm, it Check is a great one. <laughs> it is. You know, you've grown up in the church and so have I. And as a kid, you learn about the Savior, you learn about his atonement. But it's not until we go through real experiences like this that bring it home. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, what did you learn about Christ's atonement and particularly the enabling power of that atonement during these these past couple of years? That's a great question. Things that I kind of learned through that experience was one, like that I was stronger than I thought I was with the, you know, with the atonement that having a savior that has lived and breathed through everything that you've, you've, you're living and breathing through and everything that you are feeling gave me just that little bit of extra strength that I just didn't even really know that I had, I didn't feel it anyway. You know, like I think we've all probably had a day in our life where we're just like, I just don't want to live out this day. I don't want to do this day. I don't think I can get through it. You know, like a really hard exam or something. And we're like, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to get to the end of today. I don't think I can get to the end of today. And countless times there were days where I felt like that. And I did (laughs) because of course you do. But I truly feel like knowing that I had a savior that loved me and that died for me gave me that little extra bit of strength and increased my capacity to overcome things that I didn't think that I was strong enough to overcome. Now, I maybe you're not even at this point yet, but I was wondering, what have you learned about forgiveness from the savior? And is it possible to forgive those who really hurt us? I had spent so long trying to offer what I thought unconditional love was to Jason 
that I lost a lot of love for myself along the way. And as I've grown and developed that love back for myself over this past kind of 18 months, it helped me to recognize not only a just how much the Savior and a Heavenly Father love me unconditionally, I realized that in order for me to truly believe that, I needed to truly believe that they also loved Jason unconditionally. And that, even though sometimes that was like a little bit of a painful thought because I wanted to think, no, Heavenly Father, he's got to love me and he's got to love me. Surely he's on my side. Justice, come on, like I'm the victim here. I know. I was like, I'm sure my mind is like, I just want to know he's on team me, but (laughs) I couldn't, like, I can't believe that he loves me unconditionally and believe that he's a loving God. If I didn't also with that, believe that he loves Jason unconditionally, regardless of what any of us do, like we all make mistakes. So for me early on, it was really healing to try and let go and to forgive because I wasn't doing it for him. And that's what brought me the extra strength, I think, to do it was that I hadn't spoken to him. I haven't heard a single word from him since he walked out the door that day, not one word. So it wasn't for him. It wasn't, it was for me. It was so freeing to forgive and to move on and to let myself move on. Forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for us. Love it. Mm. Do you have any advice for young single adults who are dating or possibly even engaged? What should they look out for? You know, some behaviors that might not necessarily, you know, put them off getting married, but but might be something that yeah. they should have a conversation about. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's like there's obviously a lot of um, emotional abuse behaviors. And, you know, I can list things that I didn't experience myself, but that they could look out for things like, you know, demeaning behavior, name calling, raising your voice, um, degrading humor, like intimidation, isolating you from your friends and your family, withholding information, not being open, um, gaslighting, manipulation. There's so many different forms of emotional abuse. But if I had any advice, I would say ask hard questions. I think that as members of the church, we often overlook a lot of things and we assume the best. And we don't ask hard-hitting questions, maybe because we don't want to know the answer, but also maybe because we just assume that there are no issues. So I think it's absolutely fine and it's okay to ask people about pornography and ask people about different things that are uncomfortable. But I I think that that's important because you can get a better idea then of, um, you know, what behaviors may repeat themselves or what things might come up in the future. And as you said, it doesn't mean that things can't work by any means or that you've got to end it. It's just knowledge is power and it gives you more scope to be able to have open discussions with your partner. And, you know, I would recommend going and seeing a counselor, like the beautiful lady I saw with your partner before you get married and talking about, you know, different 
power and control versus equal, you know, equal behaviors and highlighting that just so that you can both be on the same page and both be aware of, of how easily you can not even know that you're manipulating somebody or, you know, um, but I would also say my advice would be to trust yourself, to trust and have the courage to act on feelings that you have. If you're feeling anxious all the time, that's probably your intuition and probably the spirit may be telling you that something's not right. And if I could go back in time, which I can't, but if I could, I would want to tell myself to trust myself a little bit more and to have courage to act on that. Even if you're engaged, you don't have to do anything. You know, you're not owned because you've got a ring on. There's always time and there's always choice. Awesome. Do you, what about for those who are currently married? Again, we're not here to advocate for divorce necessarily, but um, what are some ways that maybe uh, would have helped you to address some of the things that you were seeing while you were married? Um, like, you know, you've spoken, talked about going to see a counselor. Can a bishop help? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think being able to talk with family and friends can be really helpful because I think when you're going through these things, you want to keep them to yourself because maybe you don't want to look like you're having troubles. I think social media and um, comparison culture and putting on this happy front, you can make your life look peachy and you can kind of convince yourself that it is as well. And so I would think that having the freedom to talk to people and having the courage to talk to people is just really healing and powerful in itself. Um, if you're married and you have questions about whether something is right or whether something's healthy, for sure you can go talk to your bishop or talk to a counselor. You can go talk to your bishop to get access to a counselor. You can go source a counselor yourself. But there's so much power in voicing how you feel. And I think that that would be the best place to start. Well, your couple years on now, um, you've re-entered the dating scene. You've found the courage to go back to uh, a church environment and a culture where everybody can see exactly what's happened. And I can mm-hmm. imagine that was really, really tough and scary. Not that you yeah. know anyone's thinking anything less of you, but. I'm sure you had your own fears about what people would say. How how'd you Absolutely find the courage to do that? <laughs> um, oh, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. So it took me, I think, about a year to go back to YSA. But even just going to church that Sunday, like you all of a sudden are very outwardly alone and people talk and people have their thoughts and have their opinions and you can't control that. And I think for me it was learning to just not care. And that is such a long journey to not care. It really is. (laughs) Yeah. And we have beautiful people in the church and we have, you know, nosy people in the church and we have difficult people in the church just as you do at work or school or, you know, we're a very diverse group of people for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so we're all going to have our thoughts and opinions. And so for me, it was the best thing I could have ever done to try just to go, you know what, 
I just don't care what this person that doesn't know me thinks. And you'll have some that want to tell you what they think about it. And that can also be pretty uncomfortable. But I think for the most part, and 99% of people, they just love you and they want the best for you and they want to help you. And so wherever they're coming from, whatever that looked like to me, I just tried to think was coming from the best possible place. I also realized, and this was really powerful, is that honestly, nobody really cares. They care about you. But in my head, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, everyone's staring. Everyone's thinking about it. They're all going to go home and talk about it. The likelihood of that happening was just really low. And, you know, those that matter don't mind. And those that mind don't matter. Take that jump, rip the bandaid off because once the bandaid's off, nobody cares anymore and they just love you. And I was welcomed with open arms and I was really, really blessed. And so it was really just me getting in my own way. I can really feel like the the faith and the hope that you have for your future. And I can see that you're happy, which maybe you wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. able to say about yourself a year or so ago. Where are you now? Like, how are you doing? What are you up to? Um, And what does your future look like? To be honest, it makes me feel so blessed to be able to just really, truly mean it when I say, like, I'm so happy now. And um, that doesn't mean that there's days where I'm like, whoa, you know, I can't believe that happened. But it's been almost two years and um, I just feel so, so blessed and so grateful to be now in this stage of life, to be feeling peace and to be feeling hope. Fairly kind of recently, I've started um, seeing a wonderful, wonderful man and he has shown me the complete opposite side of the spectrum to what I experienced. I feel more than equal. I feel loved. Um, I can talk to him about anything and he's shown me that not only can life be good, but it can be great. I just feel in my heart like I made the right decision, even though it was hard at the time. I've absolutely made the right decision because I just didn't even know that I could picture a life like the one that I'm living right now. I just didn't think that that was on the cards for me for a really long time. And I know that I'm so blessed to be here and I want to show love and compassion to anybody that's going through this and is alone because I absolutely can relate and I know that it's lonely but it's so so worth it when you find somebody that loves you regardless and yeah I feel really blessed I'm really happy and really grateful to be here it's very vulnerable but I'm also I feel so liberated. I feel so empowered to be able to share this because I know I'm not alone in it. And I know that hopefully it can help somebody that might be going through the same same thing. Thank you so much for joining and for sharing your experience and for being so open. And I, I really do hope that what people come away with is, yeah, the uplifting side of your story. I'd like to ask you the final question then, which relates to the title of the podcast. There were obviously a lot of factors that led to you choosing the pathway of divorce. And at one point you were actually given an ultimatum to choose Jason or to choose the gospel and you chose to Mm -hmm. follow God. And this has had some very real consequences for your life. 
the fact that you're not married anymore being one of them. Not many of Mm -hmm. us can say that we've had to choose our faith in such a direct way. And so I just wanted to ask, after this experience, what does choosing faith now mean to you? Great question. Choosing faith is choosing courage, choosing the harder right rather than the easier wrong. And that can just be all the daily, the daily little things that don't seem like they're a big deal. I feel like blessings add up when you make the tiny little decisions, make the little harder rights. Is it Cinderella that says have courage and be kind? And be kind. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Just have courage and be kind. And I feel like faith will come. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Kate's story today. Her courage and commitment to Jesus Christ is an inspiration to me, and I hope that you felt the spirit in her words. I know I have many times throughout this recording and editing process. If you know anyone whose example of faith you'd like to hear on this show, feel free to get in touch with me on the Choosing Faith Facebook or Instagram pages. See you next time.